Crossing, so glad that you are here. Is anybody else's March Madness brackets busted by now? Okay, mine got busted last night, so it's over to me. So on to baseball, we don't care anymore. And uh, we're glad that you're here. Let's go ahead and welcome our Southeast Campus, our microsites, and everyone who is watching online right now. Can we welcome them? Glad that you are part of our Crossing family and a part of what we're doing here. Well, Easter's three weeks away, and we have a fantastic service planned, and we need your help. We are anticipating thousands of people coming onto our two campuses over those two days, and we want every single person who comes to have a great experience. And so my ask for you is that you would attend one and serve one. That you would attend one service. If you can avoid the 9, 30, and 11 services, that will be helpful for us. But attend one service, bring a friend to come with you, and that you will serve a service. We have um, areas of service in our guest services, ushers, servers, greeters, parking lots, in our Reach Cafe, and with our Kids Crossing, our early childhood and elementary, that we're expecting um, hundreds and hundreds of kids that we want to be able to take care of. And so if you're able to attend one and serve one, that would be a great way of just helping people have a great experience. You can sign up in the lobby after this service. And then here's the second thing is this, is that as Easter approaches, I want the opportunity to pray for your friends. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead and pick up your phone right now. Get your phone out. Some of your phone is already in your hand because you're Snapchatting as we speak. So go ahead and get your phone out. Some of you have been, have been praying for somebody in your life that you want to impact. Well, I would be honored to pray for your friend as well, and our prayer team would love to pray for them. We have an email address here that if you email me their name, you can text it to me, email it to me, that I will be praying for every single person that you send me as I'm working for my Easter message. Our prayer team will as well. We want to come alongside you and pray for those people that you are involved in your life. So I want to give you just a second just to kind of put that in there into your phone so you can email that to me and email me those names that I can pray for. Well, meals are a big deal. It doesn't matter whether you cook a big meal or whether you order pizza out, that what happens around the dinner table is important. That for my family, these days, the only time we can get everyone around the table at one time is Sunday at lunch. And so that's become a special time for us, kind of a big deal as we get all of our family around together that one time. But when our kids are growing up, dinner time was kind of that sacred time for us. As often as we were able to, we tried to have dinner together. And one of the traditions in our house is we would share the highlights of our week that you could not get up from the dinner table without sharing a highlight, and I was the judge at whether your highlight counted or not. Because sometimes my kids would go, Dad, my highlight is being able to sit down at dinner with you. I'm like, nope, does not count. You have to have come up better than that. Well, it was during those moments that we would talk about the difficult relationships that, that they were navigating. There was times that I would bring home... Uh, I would bring home a nasty email that somebody had sent me. Sometimes I would change their name. Sometimes I would just share who it was. And I'd go, how would you respond to this? What would you say to them? See, meals are important because they bring us together. It's this time of unity. And today, we're going to hit maybe the most famous meal of all time, the Last Supper. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 14, that we've been walking through the life of Jesus, and we are just footsteps away from his crucifixion. 
And where we're going to pick up our story today is we're going to pick up our story on Thursday, less than 12 hours away from the crucifixion. And Jesus knows that he's going to die, but his disciples do not. And before this night is over, he will be arrested. And he will be led out and he will be tried and flogged and then led up a hill where he will be killed for us. Imagine if you only had one night to live. Who would you spend that with? I mean, what would you say? What would be the thoughts that would go on in your mind? What would you want, want them to know? Because this is that moment Jesus wants to make sure that this night counts. Well, we're going to start in verse 12, chapter 14. It says, On the first day of the festival of the unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you? To eat the Passover. Now, the Jewish people had several festivals, and this particular festival, the festival of the unleavened bread, lasted for seven days. And it started with the Passover meal. And everyone would head to Jerusalem to celebrate this, and so it was estimated that there would be over a million people in Jerusalem at this time, and so there's no room for anybody to go. So the disciples are like, You need to tell us where you think we can find a room that we can celebrate this. So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Now, ladies, I don't mean to upset you, but back in those days, men did not carry water. That was a woman's job. And they would carry the water on their head. So Jesus says, I want you to go in and I want you to find a man who's carrying water and that's your sign. You follow him. And so they do. They go in there, and so they're probably looking around and seeing all these women who are making all the preparations for the meal, carrying all the water, until they finally see this guy who is carrying water, and they follow him. Verse 14, it says, Jesus says, Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room? Where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. Well, there's reason to believe that this guy carrying the water might actually be Mark who's writing this gospel to us. His mom was wealthy. We think that she's probably the one who owned this upper room. And so Mark shares with us details that nobody else shares with us. So we think that this actually could be him. But almost certainly later on in the chapter, when Jesus is arrested and the soldiers grab the cloak of a young guy and he runs out of the garden naked... That's Mark. That's Mark's signature to his gospel. He is that naked guy running out, that he is part of the eyewitnesses that see this. Well, this upper room would have been a secret location because by this time, there is many who are trying to, to kill Jesus. Verse 16, it says, The disciples left, went into the city, found things just as he had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Now, to fully understand this event, we need to to understand the Passover. So we want to rewind 1,300 years to the book of Exodus. The Israelite people were slaves to the Egyptians. They'd been slaves for 400 years. They were under the slavery. They called out to God in desperation for God to free them. So God calls Moses as the man who's going to lead them out, calls them through a burning bush, and as he begins to speak to Moses through this burning bush, he says, I want you to go to Pharaoh. And you say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And so Moses does. 
And Pharaoh refuses to let him go. And so God begins to send the, t- the ten plagues on Egypt. You remember the first ones where the Nile River turned into blood, that the water turned into blood. And then it was frogs and gnats and flies and hail. But the tenth plague was the most severe. The tenth plague was an angel of death. It was the judgment on Egypt. And God said he was going to send an angel of death to every household in Egypt. And the angel was going to kill the firstborn of every single family. The firstborn son, the firstborn slave, the firstborn cattle. They were all going to die. But for God's people, God told them to go out to their flocks and find the very best lamb. To find a lamb without any kind of a blemish or any kind of a defect and they were to kill it. And to sprinkle the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and the angel of death would pass over their house. That's where the name Passover came from. Well, whenever I I read the story, I cannot just envision myself there and trying to see what that must have been like. Imagining my own son because I have a firstborn son. And imagining taking him out to the field and we're picking out the very best lamb together. And then as we prepare to kill it, my son says, Dad, why are we going to do this? Why would we kill an innocent lamb? Say, son, it is either the lamb or it's you. And we take the lamb, sprinkle the blood on the doorposts, and the angel of death will pass over us. Well, that's exactly what happened. They kill the lamb. And they sprinkle the blood on the doorpost, and the death angel passes over. And Pharaoh finally lets the people go, and God delivers his people. And God wanted them to remember their deliverance. So every year they celebrated the Passover meal. The lamb would be slain to remember the blood of the lamb that saved them, to remember how God delivered them. So 1,300 years later, Jesus is with his disciples. They're in this upstairs room, and they're going to celebrate this Passover meal together as they have this opportunity to remember what God has done for them. Verse 17, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Now, can you imagine this moment right here? I mean, this is not your typical icebreaker to start a conversation. They're all trying to figure out who is going to betray Jesus. And Judas knew that it was him because Judas had already betrayed Jesus. Judas had already gone to the high priest and said, how much will you pay me to hand Jesus over to you? And in that moment, Jesus knew. And Judas knew. And now Judas knew that Jesus knew. See, this would have been like being at a special dinner where you're there with your closest friends. You're all gathered and you're having a great time together. It's great food that you're enjoying. And then the dad stands up and says, I've received a credible death threat. And in a few hours, I'll be murdered. And by the way, one of you in this room is a part of that plot. I mean, that would put a damper on everything that happened. Verse 19. It says, they were saddened, and one of them said, surely you don't mean me. Surely you don't mean me. That in all of this, they begin to, to look at each other, 
And they started to go around the circle. Said, surely not I. Peter, who had left Jesus, who had left everything to follow Jesus, says, surely not I. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the ones that they called the sons of thunder. I mean, these are the guys who were boisterous. They said all kinds of things. Surely not I, Lord. Bartholomew, who said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Says, surely not I. Philip and Thomas and Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot, one by one, they went around the circle and said, surely not I, Lord. Now, to kind of understand what's going on, you have to understand that the table is really low to the ground. The table is low, and they would recline on their side. They would actually recline on their left side on a cushion. And the table would have three sides. It would be made in a U-shaped And the disciples would have been all the way around this way, and then they would have served food from the open side. Now, just kind of picture this because John is right in front of Jesus, and John tells this part of the story. says, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is how John referred to himself, was reclining next to him. And I love this next part. Simon Peter motioned to the disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, Who is it? John is in the second most honored place at the table. Any guess at who is in the most honored seat? Judas. Judas is in the most honored seat right next to Jesus. Whether he took that seat himself to declare himself the most honored or whether Jesus put him there, we don't know. Verse 20 goes on and it says, It is one of the twelve, he replied. One who dips bread into the bowl with me, the Son of Man, will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. The bowl that they dipped their bread in was a mixture of bitter herbs. The reason that it was bitter is it was to remind them of the bitterness of slavery for 400 years. It was this tangible reminder. See, God gives us these reminders. That's why we have baptisms. It is a reminder of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's why we take communion. It's the reminder of Jesus' death for us. That God gives these tangible reminders. And now these bitter herbs represent bitter betrayal. And maybe Jesus waited until Judas had put his hand into the bowl that Jesus put his hand in as well. But it was a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Out of Psalm chapter 41, verse 9, it says, Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. Now, I want to show you a picture. This, is, this picture is Leonardo da Vinci's famous painting of the Last Supper. That this was painted between 1495 and 1496. It is 15 foot by 30 foot, this painting right here. And right now, it, it's um, on the wall of a monastery in Italy, and it's been duplicated hundreds of times. Let me show you this reproduction. This reproduction was actually done in the 1500s, and if you see Jesus here, go to the third person over from where Jesus is, and that's Judas, and you can see in his right hand, he's holding a bag. This is the bag of 30 pieces of silver that Leonardo da Vinci painted in there. That that bag in today's terms is about $200 that Judas betrayed Jesus for. And I think about the disciples as they were going around one by one, it said, saying, not I. Because here's what I think they knew. 
I think they knew that there is a betrayer that lurks in every one of us. Maybe they knew that they were all capable of saying or thinking or doing some of the darkest things imaginable. And we are too, aren't we? There is not a person in this room who has not betrayed Jesus at some point in their life. There is not a person in here who is innocent. There is not a person in here who can save themselves. We've all been the betrayer. And at this moment, they're remembering what happened 1,300 years before in, back in Egypt when they were saved by the blood of the Lamb. And now Jesus is going to introduce it as a brand new idea of what the blood of the Lamb is, and it's Him. It's Him. Verse 22. It says, while they were eating... Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. At the Passover meal, whenever they gathered, there would be a host, and the host would explain what was going on in the meal. And as part of it, they would pick up a piece of bread like this. It'd be a a piece of unleavened bread. And the reason that it was unleavened bread is because when the Israelites were fleeing Israel, God said, do not put yeast in the bread because you don't have time for it to rise. And the host, as he was saying, as he would take a piece of bread like this, he would say, this is the bread of affliction. That your forefathers, they ate this in the wilderness so that they could remember God's deliverance. But Jesus changes the words. Where the host would normally say, this is the bread of affliction, Jesus says, this is my body, and it is broken for you. I imagine the disciples never looked at the bread the same way again. Jesus says, I am the bread of life, that life only comes through me. Well, then going on in, in a, um, chapter, uh, chapter 14, verse 23, says, then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. That the way Luke says this, writes this, he says, this is the blood of the new covenant, that God is doing something new with his people. It's a new covenant. And at the Passover meal, there would be four cups that represented four promises. And these promises came from Exodus chapter 6, that these were promises that God had given Moses to give to the people. And here's what these verses say. It says, therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with the mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. That there was four cups that would be part of this meal, and they each represented the promise that was represented, these four promises that God had given them. And so this first cup right here, 
This first cup was the first promise. That this is the promise where God says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. They would drink that together. The second cup, it represented the second promise. And this is the promise that I will free you from being slaves to them. That we are no longer slaves. Let's drink to that. This third cup was this promise that I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with the mighty acts of judgment. This is the cup of redemption. That God redeems us. And then this fourth cup right here was the fourth promise. That I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Now in the night, they drank these cups at different times. This first cup they drank as soon as everybody got to the Passover meal. The second cup is the cup that they would drink as the Passover meal started. This third cup is the cup that they would drink and they would remember these promises after the Passover meal was completed. And then this last cup is what they would drink before they all left to go on their way. It's what they did. And each of these cups, they would drink them at different times. Well, when Jesus talks about this being the new covenant, it was this cup right here. It it represented redemption. It is the cup of redemption where Jesus is saying, this cup that you have celebrated for 1,300 years of God's redemption is now redemption in my blood that you have forgiveness of sins. This is the cup where you are redeemed from. Jesus never drank this cup right here. Because he says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it with you in heaven, until we drink it anew. And so as I think about all of these right here, I wonder which of these promises you need today. Maybe, Maybe this is the promise right here that I will bring you out That whatever kind of bondage that you're in, how far away that you have gone from God, God says, I will bring you out. I'll bring you out. Maybe for some of you, the promise that you need is that I will free you. That I'm going to bring freedom to you. That I will free you from that sin that has so enslaved you. I will free you from that addiction that you cannot quite get a hold of. I will free you from bitterness. I will free you from the insecurity that you go into every single conversation and relationship. I will free you. Maybe it's this cup right here that I will redeem you. It's the cup that Jesus held up at that moment. Maybe What you need to hear is that through Jesus, you can have your sins forgiven, that you can be redeemed by what Jesus has done for you. Or maybe the promise that you need is this fourth one, where God says, I will take you. That you think that you're no good, you think that you're worthless, you think that you're not good enough, that you're all used up, I will take you on your worst day. You will be my people, and I will be your God. Well, this last verse, verse 26, says, When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And we'll pick up the story there next week. But it was this night in this meal that Jesus 
instituted communion so that we'd remember the price that he paid for us. I don't know what the most significant communion experience that you've ever had. I've had a few that have been very memorable for me, but one of the most memorable for me was when I was in Cambodia. I was in Cambodia this last fall. We were on a mission trip. We were working with our partners there. And we came to church on Sunday morning. And so we're in church with these people from a different country, and we don't speak the same language, and our lives are completely different. Where their life is and where our lives were, completely different. As the service started, there was things we just didn't understand. But then when they passed out the communion elements... It didn't matter that we are from a different country and spoke a different language, had different backgrounds. This is what united us. It was the body and the blood of Jesus. And I remember sitting there in that, that little place as we're surrounded, and I took that bread that remembered Jesus, and I felt unity with every believer in that room. And as we took the juice together, and today, across the world, there are millions and millions of Christians who will take communion to remember Jesus, and it unites us with them, that our lives may be completely different, but this is what unites us. It's what Jesus did for us. Do you want to know why communion is important? Because we have this amazing capacity to forget. I mean, some of you forget your keys everywhere you go. You're always that person who loses your keys and you know who you are. Some of you, you forget where you put your glasses and you look all over for them to find that they've actually been on your head the whole time. <laughs> or maybe you're like me, you go into a room and you forgot why you went into that room. So you go back to where you were before hoping you can remember why you had gone into that room in the first place. We just tend to forget. We just tend to forget, and Jesus gave us communion because he did not want us to ever forget. He did not want us to ever forget the price that was paid for our life. He wanted us to remember and to remember right. Our spiritual lives become so routine. We go through the motions and we do the same thing over and over, and Jesus says, I want you to remember and if you remember right, you'll remember how real it was once before. And it could be real again. It's that moment when you were so excited about your salvation and it becomes real again. It's the moment that you came back to God after going way off track and it becomes real again. Communion is a time to look around at the body of Christ, that we are all part of a body, and we're connected to everybody in this room by one simple thing through the body and the blood of Jesus. It's what brings us together. Stephen Brown, a, a Bible teacher, says that the world drinks to forget, but Christians drink to remember that we want to remember right, to remember God's grace in your life, in my life. Communion, it's remembering your redemption. That's at the core of communion. It's to remember your redemption, that Jesus redeemed you. 
He said, you are mine. I'll take you on your worst day. We want to have a special time of communion today. Here's what's going to happen. Our Esther's going to pass out the bread and the juice, and I want you to take the bread, take the cup, and I want you to hold them. The worship team's going to come out, and they're going to sing to us. And then I'm going to come back out, and we're going to all take communion together in unity at one time. It's going to be this special time for us. So as the trays come, take a piece of bread, take a cup of juice, and just hold those. And I'll come out in just a minute, and we'll take those together.